0: So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW void avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm a writer, a writer of songs, pretty little ditties and sing along.
1: So Hi, I'm Jennifer Ashley Tepper.
2: And I'm Joe Iconis.
1: And you're listening to The Album certain. Podcast.
2: Today, we're gonna to be talking about Right Place, Wrong Time, a song by Katrina Rose Diedrickson and Eric William Morris.
1: This song is sad, it's exciting, it's got twists and turns. It's a great episode.
2: It's a great episode. And it's yeah, this this song is the song that I always say is my most autobiographical. And so uh, listen to the episode and you'll hear why.
1: And then check in on Joe. Make sure he's doing okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, my hands are shaking My head is hot He sneezes and he fidgets his Right place, wrong time <laughs> Right place, <laughs> slash, slash wrong, wrong time,
1: time. Um, So this is a song that was originated by and is performed on the album by the same two folks, frequent collaborators mm-hmm. Where shall we start?
2: Where do we start? Well, yeah, let's start with the people yeah. Then we'll talk about the song so the people are Eric William Morris. Is this the first time we've spoken about him? On album podcast?
1: I believe so, although he's certainly on the album a lot, but I guess his songs are towards the second half of the album. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. This, he sort of makes his, his first appearance here, I guess. <laughs> uh, Eric William Morris is someone who uh, is one of my best friends and one <laughs> You of just my... sounded
1: like you were six years old. I was very- good. <laughs> He's one of my best friends. We share crayons at recess. <laughs>
2: Um, and one of my most frequent collaborators. And uh, he uh, is another one who I met through auditions. Yeah. Eric auditioned for the workshop production of The Black Suits at SPF, uh, at the Public Theater, in 2008. I had never seen him before. Eric walked in the room and he auditioned for the role of John Amoroso, and he was he was really good, but, and I've, I've talked about this before, I immediately was like, oh, this guy's too handsome. Get out of here. <laughs> I immediately in my brain was just like, I don't want to, I'm like, I'm not doing that. Get Go go somewhere else, buddy. Because uh, I had this idea, of, you know, of like art is real and I need people who look like people, not this model. Or this
1: handsome guy. This yeah.
2: handsome son of a bitch coming in here. Uh, and so I... Um, And so I really, you know, I really counted him out. John Simpkins. The director was was really like I think he's really good like he's really he's really got something and so I remember he came back and I was just like I just don't know I just don't know and um, and then it was Jason Tam <laughs> Jason Tam played the role
1: also very handsome yeah, yeah
2: also beautifully handsome yeah but it was always I just wanted Jason Tam you know like I, just, I, just, like I was like it should just right. be him it yeah. was just right and it was like we were doing this exercise of like we got to see these new actors but it's like I, it should be Jason Tam and he was so beautiful and he was he was great. Mm-hmm. Um, But uh, so that happened. So then we were doing a run of Things to Ruin. And we were short this one guy, this one, um, you know, this one role. And so we had auditions and people auditioned and nobody really felt right to me. And uh, and then John Simpkins must have been the person who was like, what about that Eric William Morris guy? (laughs) And I remember being like, "Okay, cool. And so we auditioned Eric, which at the time was literally a room at, I believe we were rehearsing Plant that ate Dirty Socks, maybe? Or maybe that was a different thing.
1: Well, this was the run of things stream that happened at the Zipper Factory, right? Yes, it, Yeah. and
2: no, our, our auditions were at Ars Nova. Mm-hmm. And so it was like me behind the table, John behind the table, and then Jason Sweet Tooth Williams was like running the auditions. <laughs> <laughs> so he he was like calling people in, and then he was like sitting behind the table and watching. It truly is something where it's like if like I feel like if anyone tried to do that today, they would immediately be canceled.
1: It sounds like, like a fa- it sounds like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where you set up a fake audition. Yeah, because you wanted to audition one person, right? You wanted to look real. Literally,
2: yeah. that's what it was. And so Eric auditioned, and uh, it was like okay, okay, this guy's pretty good. This is pretty good. I liked him after our first rehearsal. We we were rehearsing downtown. It must have been we must have been rehearsing at NYU. And um and I said to Eric, you know, would you wanna um would you wanna get a you know a drink or something after rehearsal? And he was like, um, okay, yeah. And Eric has talked about this. And he was like, he felt like that was his real audition. Like he felt like me and John and Jason, we all we all went to get a drink. We were like, like, what's what's this guy's deal? Is he cool or not? And we went to um We went to it used to be called Boxers on on 4th Street, um, uh, right by the little park there. And now it's the Spaniard. Um, But uh, we went there and we had some drinks and got to know Eric. And truly, it's been like no looking back ever (laughs) since. And he's, uh, you know, the leading man of my dreams. He was in um, he was in Blood Song of Love as the musician. And he was in Be More Chill at Two River as the Squip. And, uh, he's done a million things with me. He's Mr. Maccabee in the Christmas show. And, and he's remained, uh, as handsome as ever. He's actually gotten more classically <laughs> handsome as he's aged but the thing that i love about him is that he is like a hundred percent like a character man trapped in a leading man's body which yeah. provides such a uh, incredible tension to all of his performances and in, in a way that is uh is 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 uh inescapable it's, it's hard to articulate but it's but
1: that speaks to your thing of like you wish that um people could meet not in auditions because it's yeah. almost impossible to portray that in audition yeah. to like show all of those parts of you. Yeah, of course. And so you wouldn't know it until you saw someone perform and like worked with them in a room, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, that is very true. Like Eric, he has so many like shades to every performance, but you think you're gonna get a handsome leading man and then you get so much more.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he just, I mean, he can succeed, as the handsome leading man, like he did he,
1: Mama Mia and not yeah. Mama Mia Murders. Right, spoiler for another episode
2: of the podcast. <laughs> Mama Mia Murders. Yeah, he did, he did the original. He did Mama Mia one. Yeah, but um, yeah, he he can do that. He's very adept at doing that. But he's just so interesting, and he you know he can just he can do so many things. And and you know, listen, like Eric, is, he's done a million. He's you know he's the lead in King Kong. Um, well, he was the human lead in King Kong. King <laughs> Kong is <was> the lead <laughs> of King Kong, but. Uh, he, you know, he did that on Broadway. He's, he's, he's you know, he's, he's done movies and TV. He's done a million things. Um, and still, I, I just think there, Eric Waymore should never, ever, ever be unemployed. He <laughs> should just go from thing to thing to thing as much as he wants to. Anytime I see a show on Broadway and there is, a, a role that Eric could even remotely play and he's not <laughs> playing it, I want to throttle the creative team, like truly. I, I, there was a show um, that was just announced with the casting. There's like, there's a male lead that literally I read it and I went Ugh, like out loud publicly. Cause it's the most like, that's the most boring casting I've ever read in my life. And it should be Eric William Morris. And I know that he will eventually be that person who's just in every fucking thing. Um, But And I I just want it selfishly because I want to see it. And I'm also already angry at all the things that will take him away from my work. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm always happy to work with him as long as he'll have me.
1: Um... So we've already talked about Katrina Rose Diedrickson in terms of like the actress, but mm-hmm. bringing the two of them together for this song, yeah. um, when, you know, I feel like I, because of Blood Song of Love and because like I've heard their voices together on so many songs and, and shows of yours, um, it just feels so like, oh wait, is this not a song that didn't already exist? Like it almost feels like, wait, like when it happened, it was like, wait, this feels, does that make sense? It it's, felt like it already existed.
2: Yeah, no, it really, it, yes, I agree with you. And and this is a song where their their shared history I think actually kind of informs the writing of it because as I was writing it I kind of knew that I wanted it for the two of them, and uh, and it and it helped it added to the whole the whole thing you know and I also I love that in Blood Song they were um, you know Katrina played multiple roles uh, there was a lot of doubling in Blood Song except for the musician which is Eric's part and um and you know her first role as the wife of banana at the top of the show she was very adversarial towards him and they um you know they, they have a, a sort of gun standoff and uh and then um at the end of the show she plays a character uh who, who the musician is very kind to but i do always think of her as first as like the wife of banana i think of her as this woman who's trying to literally murder the musician you right. know, he's trying to shoot him because he's come to like take away her man um,
1: played by Lance
2: Rubin. <laughs> by Lance Rubin. Yeah, um, and and to bring them together in this, you know, duet where they really are two people on the same wavelength. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they're two people who are just like in sync. Uh, that's something that they never quite did in Bloodsong, But yeah, but as you said, it feels like how has this not existed already? Yeah um yeah
1: so without any spoilers this is also a song that does have a twist where um maybe maybe it ends up how people i guess that's a spoiler in itself but i guess i just we could talk
2: about spoilers yeah if if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the song stop stop, listen
1: to the song song and come back it'll be a better experience song first podcast second (laughs) you wouldn't listen to the like you know director's commentary before the movie either so it's okay yeah um but I feel like this is a twist that is oh, yeah. surprising even as a twist because you're like, wait, what? Like, I'm sad about how this song ends.
2: Yeah, you know, this song, this song is one that I frequently come back to when people ask me which of my songs is my favorite. And I always I always say, starting to forget, which is one of the first songs I ever wrote, well, first real songs I ever wrote um, that's later on in the album. Um, but this, this one, Right Place, Wrong Time, is... Is as close to a favorite song of my own as I have, and I think that that it, it's a it's a few reasons. It's because it's exactly what I intended it to be. When I sort of had the idea for it, I it, I, I, I I the idea was in my head for a really long time, and it was and it, I never, I wasn't able to articulate the idea. I knew I wanted to write something that was about um that was about feeling sort of stuck and feeling like um. You're you're waiting for your 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 ship to come in. And you don't think it's coming in, and and I actually I had I had a song with ship imagery that was kind of like you know, circling around in my brain, and I couldn't quite make it work, and 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 um, and then once I kind of hit upon this idea of like a writer and a singer, and it's a duet, and it's this kind of like throwback country song, that just something just clicked about it. Um, and then when I realized that I wanted to kill him sort of towards the end of the song at her hand, that, that's when everything made sense. And that's when I um, thats when I was like, okay, this is what the song is. And this, the way the song turned out is like what I dreamed it would be. It's just exactly what I wanted to say with the song. Yeah. And um, and so it's, it's a favorite. And also, you know, something that's so funny, like people also always, 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 um, ask me about, you know, like songs that they think are really personal songs that they think are autobiographical and the ones they always think are autobiographical are the ones where it's like, you know, the pronouns, I, or, you know, being used and the, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, myself as a writer, like the song and all the mistakes they made by the girl. And, um, and right place, wrong time. When I listen to it even still, I feel like this is as autobiographical a song as I have ever, 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 ever ever written. Um, and it is just, it is exactly how I felt when I wrote it in 2016. And it's in the times in my life when, when I feel like frustrated and when I feel, um, when I feel like not where I want to be and like, I'm fighting an uphill battle, which is how I feel right now in the the, as i as i record this podcast it is like exactly what i'm feeling Mm -hmm. what is expressed in the song both the words that they say and the actual story of the song and how it unfolds and how it actually feels that that's just that's just what it is and Mm -hmm. so that's why i think i keep i always come back to it as like a song that i love because it's just it remains just true and it's like the ultimate i don't know if it's good i don't know if it's bad but i know it's exactly what i want to say
0: Yeah. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Um, how much when you're writing a song where you have specific actors like Eric and Katrina in this case in mind? Um, how much are you shaping it around their voices musically versus like lyrics, character, um, what the song is? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'm. Uh, I think in the in the initial writing, it's more about the or it is, it's about the lyrics and the character. I'm not really thinking about, well, I know Eric can sing this note and this is range, and I know Katrina can sing this note and this is her range. I'm just thinking about the characters, and I'm thinking about the story, and I just wanna get the story told. Because in this particular song, she's a singer, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to be able to give her an opportunity to to do some you know, in-your-face singing, because mm-hmm. it felt like it would only serve the story of the song. But that kind of comes later. I'm sort of, and, I, and I know them well enough where I'm like, okay, I'm going to write the song. It's the end. And then we're going to get in a room. And then we'll figure out vocally what happens. And then yeah. we'll shape that. And, it's that. and that's sort of what happened with the end of the song where I, I knew, okay, you know, they're going to do, they'll do something exciting here as the kind of culmination of this, mm-hmm. of this song event. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like the lyrics and the characters first and then. I worry about the music later
1: right it's interesting because I also feel like and the other time we've talked about Katrina a lot on the album is the actress and that might be one of the major exceptions to this because what the song is about is partially like the way that Katrina can sing so Mm -hmm. it's like more integral to the lyrics and the plot yeah yeah
2: yeah. I mean and also because you know it's like because the song is about the song is about you know people who are who are perfectly talented, they just were born on the wrong day, (laughs) you know? And and so I think it's the song itself. It only makes more sense when the singer has a great voice, when her talent is so obvious, when her talent is so like, it's right there. Mm -hmm. We can all hear it and we're all excited by it and we're all cheering for it. And it doesn't matter at all. It has nothing to do with that because um, you know as Abigail pogerman says in, in the in the movie you know art is not a meritocracy like that's not what this business is right and just because you're the most talented person the most wonderful person with the best intentions um, with the the most exquisite you know god-given talent it doesn't mean that you're gonna be able to do the thing you want to do it doesn't mean you're gonna be able to get the place that you want to get um, which is a really ugly truth, truth mm-hmm. but it just is yeah. you know and it's like and whenever I hear Whenever I listen to the song and and whenever I, you know, get excited about Katrina singing, I always think of Cabaret, which is my favorite musical, and how people, you know, always talk about how it doesn't make sense in Cabaret when Sally has a great voice, which is why, you know, it's it's you know Sally should be cast with not a great singer because if she has this great of a voice what is she doing singing in a shitty club like the Kit Kat club and this idea of like why would Liza Minnelli be singing in a shitty club like the Kit Kat club um, I just so don't agree and I think mm-hmm. it makes it even sadder because I think that is the reality I think that there are there are countless people who are who are performing in in awful places there are countless people who are performing in their bedrooms who we don't even know about who will never know about because the circumstances of their lives are such that they don't get to show their talent and whether that's you know personal things that are stopping them or whether that's you know they're not getting hired for things and that eventually they don't get hired and they die you know that's what it is right. and i think that is just the reality of this of this this business and so um yeah so it 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 makes you know sense to me and that's the the sort of underlying thing that fuels this
1: this or it's like I also think part of the tragedy and definitely when you have someone like Eliza Manelli in Cabaret it's we as an audience see that person's talent and the other characters Mm -hmm. in the show don't see that person's talent and that's part of the tragedy yeah yeah yeah
2: Yeah. but it's like it's it's unappreciated and we know and it's like we want to like jump through the screen and be like, would you, don't treat her like that, you know? (laughs) Go give her name to a talent agent or something, but it doesn't doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does, and that's, and the sometimes it does, like that's the, you know, that's the hope, and that's the thing that certainly I hang on to. It's like, well, what if it's different? And a lot of people who I know who haven't gotten to the place they want to be, that's what they hang on to. And it's like, well, maybe, you know, because that's the magic thing about it, there's no rules. So it's like, yeah, your life can change in an instant. And your life can change in an instant, you can end up, you know, on Broadway, and you're like, can change it in an instant, and you can end up run over. Sure. And
1: yes. You know, um, this song makes me think of I feel like in a world where you ever did a version of an album or a concert where it was like Joe Iconis goes and it was country, or it was, mm-hmm. um, you know, some mm-hmm. kind of, I, I'm saying country because that's what I think it is, but like yeah. if you were to ever take your work and kind of filter it like more fully through one genre as a lens, like would it be country, like folk country? Like what kind of genre would it be? 'Cause I, I don't know, I just always think of this song as being like the entree into like yeah. some other Dolly Parton esque style. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean I do there is something about country music. And you know, Blood Song is a show that that is it, it's country um it's country tinged right. for sure, but it's not sort of whole hog country. There's like mariachi in that show and there's the, you know, and blues and, um, and, and I, I do really love country music and Dolly Parton is, you know, my favorite songwriter if I had to pick one and I love the storytelling of country music and I love the actual, um, the, the, the sonic world of, of older country music for sure. Uh, yeah. And there's just something so evocative about that. And I, I would love to write more in that world than I have. And it is, it's funny, I feel like my natural inclination when I'm writing is to either go to like this, um, this very melodic pop place, um, pop rock sort of, but with stuff like, um, uh, like Yesterday's, Mm -hmm. or songs like, um, even The Answer or something. Mm -hmm. This very melodic pop, it's like Weezer, it's like um, uh, Fountains of Wayne, um that sort of thing it's that or it's country music
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's sort of folky like even though i write on piano i a lot of times i'm sort of imitating acoustic guitar right. patterns you know and that's right. what you hear more on like 52 or um you know like the whiskey song which is right. on this album but uh and it, it's just sort of where i live when i'm like trying to write something that's telling a story and that. And if and unless the story and the characters are really dictating a style to me, mm-hmm. it's usually going to be one of those two. Right. And so, which is just to say that yeah, I I, I would love to write even more in in the country, you know, in Um
1: Is it true that like Katrina and Eric have only performed this? Am I forgetting some?
2: No, you know who performed it. Um, Daniel Gimbel performed it once.
1: Oh my God, she did, and it was amazing. And it yeah. also was like wasn't it? It was last minute. Barrington. I... Yeah. 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 Yeah yeah of course she did
2: yeah the incredible diane gimble <laughs> music copyist
1: performer yes of music course. coordinator performer and th- those are the only people that have performed i think so yeah. It. yeah yeah
2: i don't think another guy has ever performed it
1: maybe i should stop asking this because inevitably one of us usually me has forgotten one performance of a song
2: <laughs> that's right everyone yeah everyone listening please be kind to us Um, yeah I don't think anyone else ever performed
1: it it was written after like all of the things where like oh you know like it was never done at NYU in the showcase. it was never Mm -hmm. done by like a one off
2: performer yeah it's only lived in concerts and um, yeah and I I actually also I remember the first time that we did it which was at the the string of shows we did in 2016 at 54 Below it was the string of shows where Betty Buckley did Old Flame Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I remember as we were doing it for that first time, me being at the piano with 54 Below and even and feeling like, even this, even me and us being on this, this literal stage in this literal building feels like it's, it's connected to the song. It feels like if we would have been in this world, this world, you know, I mean, in 54, it wasn't 54 Below, it was Studio 54. Sure. If we would have been in this world in the 70s, I think we would have done okay, and perhaps slightly more okay than than we're doing at this time. Like I yeah. I so had this sense of like, because I've felt that so many times in my in my life where I'm just like, oh, I'm just like not, I'm like not the guy for this particular moment. It's like I wish like I was a little bit earlier or a little bit later or something, and it's like and that it's this thing that like haunts me. And I think sometimes in my career I've been very lucky where I have sort of met up with a moment and it's and you know, which is how like be more chill happened. But um, I do, my, my overwhelming sense, that's the thing. And it, it, maybe it's in my head or maybe it's not. That's the thing that I'm always, I feel like, secretly battling, like, that's mm-hmm. like my demon, this demon of like, you were born on the wrong day, you should have been born five years earlier or, yeah. or 25 years earlier or, you know, 10 years from now. And uh, yeah, and so I think like that, you know, just performing it on that on that ground, yeah. it was like impossible to not think about that.
1: Yeah, I remember it well.
2: Yeah. And Katrina wore a shirt that said, End of Story, which is one of my favorite favorite. Katrina Rose Dierdrickson outfits. Just
1: Katrina putting a button on the song, but with the the thing on her shirt. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hey, thanks so much for listening or watching to my podcast. Uh, Do me a favor and go to wherever you just listen to or watch this thing and subscribe or like or give us a great rating or review, and then head to bpn.fm slash album to find out even more information about this podcast, more ways to watch, more ways to listen, and check out my album, Album. Thanks so much for hanging out.
0: Album Podcast is executive produced by Liz Armstrong, produced by Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, Kim Garris, and the rest of the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Be sure to visit bpn.fm/slash album for both audio and video versions of this podcast and to listen to album. Mm-hmm.